This is the Building Resilience Podcast, episode 85, The 10 Principles of Neuroplasticity. Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast, where you will learn all about building resilience in yourself and helping others build it too. Drawing from the principles of positive psychology, neuroscience, and coaching, I will help you face all the challenges and adversities that life throws at you and help you do more than just survive. I will help you thrive. I am your host, Leah Davidson, and I am a certified life coach and speech language pathologist. I will help you manage your mind, your emotions, deal with your stress and your overwhelm, and lead a more purposeful and joyful life. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. I cannot believe we are halfway through the summer. That's such a big deal when you live in Toronto because our summers are so short. And we're into August. And as soon as August hits, the evenings start to get a bit of a a bit of a chill to them. So I'm not complaining because we often have some beautiful fall weather as well, but I just can't believe how the summer has flown by. So I hope you've been enjoying it and I hope you have been taking time to create the joy in your life. And today we are going to talk some more brainy stuff. As you know, I love the brain and I love learning about the brain and I love teaching you what I learn about the brain. I've been a speech pathologist for over 23 years now, and about 17 of those years, I've worked intensively in the area of traumatic brain injury. So I've learned a ton about the brain from the perspective of what happens when things go wrong. And then over the past several years, I've learned how we can take what we know about the brain when things go wrong, and it can actually help us understand how the brain functions, even when things are okay. What you can do to boost your brain, to change your brain, to improve your brain, to protect your brain. I just love learning and applying all this stuff. I think our brain health is so key to our quality of life. It's really key to our physical health, our relationships, our overall resilience. And today I wanted to talk a bit more about neuroplasticity with you. And if you recall, we talked about it way back on episode 14. So you may want to have another listen to that because we go over some of the basics, including what it is. And today I wanted to dive in a bit deeper into what some of the principles are that govern neuroplasticity. And there are 10 of them. And this is drawn from an article entitled Principles of Experience Dependent Neuroplasticity Implications for Rehabilitation After Brain Damage by Klein and Jones. So it's an article relevant to the population that I work with as an SLP, and that's why I enjoy reading it. But I think the principles that they share are relevant for all of us and anybody who's interested in brain health. So I wanted to share that with you here too. Klein and Jones, they first talk about how the research suggests that neurons, among other brain cells, possess the ability to change their structure and function in response to a variety of internal and external pressures, including behavioral training. So neuroplasticity is the way the brain changes itself, how it encodes experiences and learns new things. And in this case, it's the way that the brain can relearn as well in response to rehabilitation. Again, the research on the neurobiology of learning and memory in a brain without damage does suggest that for each learning event, there is some necessary and sufficient change in the nervous system that supports the learning. 
Now they came up with 10 principles of experience-dependent plasticity that is relevant if you have brain damage and relevant if you have an intact brain. So these are the principles that can help you rewire your brain. The first one is use it or lose it. Now, neural circuits not actively engaged in task performance for an extended period of time begin to degrade. So that's their fundamental statement about use it or lose it. You don't use it for an extended period of time, it's going to begin to degrade. One of the reasons is that failing to engage a brain system due to a lack of use may lead to further degradation of function. And they give the example of this with someone who requires, say, a G-tube feeding due to an inability to be fed orally and to swallow. Over time, the circuits responsible for the swallowing mechanism may actually begin to degrade due to a lack of use. And subsequently, when that patient is able to begin to swallow again, they may actually require additional time and trials because they have to reestablish this process as the circuits may have become a bit rusty. So it's a bit of a catch. You may not feel strong about something, whether it's a behavior or habit or even a thought, so you likely won't practice it, but that in turn means that you're more likely to lose it. Whatever you want to improve on, you need to be using it. And I always used to tell my clients, and I still tell them this for SLP clients, the best way to improve your speech is to talk. The best way to improve your reading is to read. The best way to improve your writing is to write. There's really no shortcuts for doing the activity. And it really goes for everything. If you want to improve in your ability to do push-ups, then you need to be doing push-ups. You want to improve your ability to manage your mind and clean up your thoughts, then you need to be working on managing your mind and cleaning up your thoughts. If you are not investing in something, you do run the risk of losing it. And I think this is something that we might have known common sense wise. It's just nice to see that it is supported by the literature. Now, this rolls quite nicely into the next principle, which is use it and improve it. And they state that training that drives a specific brain function can lead to enhancement of that function. So a lack of use can degrade brain functions and several studies in intact animals have shown how plasticity can be induced within specific brain regions through extended training. So experience can enhance performance. Again, probably something that you already know. The more you use something or do something, the better you're going to get at it. But again, the research shows that the brain does change when you use it. You can't just be talking about something. It is not enough. You actually have to do it. And I think that's what happens to many of us. And I certainly think with a lot of my clients, whether they be SLP or coaching, we talk about things. It makes sense. People are in agreement. I do this myself. I'm like, yeah, that totally makes sense. I'm thinking about it. I'm putting it in my brain. It's running around in circles. But unless I actually do it, it's just not enough. So you have to use it or you're going to lose it. And if you use it, you are going to improve it. The third principle is specificity. And what does that even mean? Well, they state that the nature of the training experience dictates the nature of the plasticity. So really, whatever you're trying to work on, you need to be specifically working on it. If you want to improve your guitar playing, you actually have to play the guitar. 
in fact, play the song that you're learning. Not just watch someone else play it or play another musical instrument or study the theory about it or read about it or learn about music in general. You have to specifically practice what you want to improve. Now, in terms of coaching, if you want to improve something like your self-coaching, maybe improve how you do your thought downloads, you can't just talk about it or read about it or discuss with other people what are the better ways to do it. You specifically have to do the task. If you want to be managing your mind and getting to know what's in your mind, you have to sit there and write down what are the thoughts in your mind. You have to specifically do it. You need to tailor what you're doing to specifically match the goal that you are trying to achieve. Again, I think it makes sense, but we don't always put it into application. Now, the fourth thing is repetition matters. And they state that the induction of plasticity requires sufficient repetition. So repetition, you have to do it. It's not one or two times. And I do think this comes into play when we're trying to integrate a new thought or a new belief. You can't just swap it at one time and expect it to stick. You have to do it over and over and over again, daily, hourly. Now, how many times do you need to repeat things? We actually don't know the exact amount, but we know that it is a lot. You have to be patient and committed and consistent. And I've always likened it to making a new path. Initially, you're really creating a path through a deep, dense jungle. And the first time you go through, you're going to be needing the machete to chop things down. And you will have to go in and chop over and over and over. And eventually, the path will become much more worn. And I think we give up or we feel fed up before the path is worn. And often we think it's not working. But it is always moving us. The repetition makes a difference. It helps us move forward, but of course it is slow. So don't give up. Repetition counts. The fifth principle is intensity matters. And they state that induction of plasticity requires sufficient intensity. Now I look at intensity as doing lots of repetitions within a short period of time. Doing something a hundred times over one day versus one week or one month, the results are going to be different. Intensity matters. Going to the gym six hours a week will yield much better results than six hours a month. Same number of repetitions, but the intensity matters too. Now, one of the things that I work on a lot with my coaching clients is teaching them the skills they can use to self-regulate in the immediate. And what I mean is that when they start to feel stressed, what is it that they can do right away to help reduce that stress response? Now, these are the strategies that they need to employ hundreds of times a day. It's not a one-time thing and all your stress will be gone. But if you want to get better at regulating yourself and understanding your nervous system and calming yourself, you can't just be practicing here and there. You need to be practicing on a pretty intense, regular basis. The more intensive the therapy program, the more likely a person is to achieve results and the more likely these changes are to be maintained over time. So don't underestimate the duration of time that you need to do the repetitions. The shorter the time, the better. The more intense the time, the better. Number six, time matters. And this one is a bit more relevant to when there is an injury in that they talk about how different forms of plasticity occur at different times during recovery. So this is a principle that is based on the idea that the earlier you provide the opportunity for the brain to recover, the better. And one of the reasons is that the brain wants to receive and is seeking 
recovery early on. But also in early intervention means there's less room for maladaptive behaviors, which are the things that we do to compensate for challenges we have. Sometimes we'll start to do things that we think help and they actually in the long run hurt. They don't help. And then later on, we have to go back in and we have to change things. So although it's related to an injury, time does matter. The best time to start taking care of your brain was when you were born. And the next best time is now. So jump in. There's no such thing as too late. Just get there, get in and start working. But if we are dealing with some type of injury, the best time is the earlier, the better. Now, the seventh principle is salience matters. And they state that the training experience must be sufficiently salient to induce plasticity. And I sort of look at this from different angles. The first one is we need to know the why. Why are we doing things? Why are we trying to introduce these new habits? It really needs to be meaningful. What is important and relevant to me will have more of an impact on my brain. So spend some time getting to know what your why is. Engage in activities that are meaningful and enjoyable. You want them to be relevant to you, interesting to you, salient. You pay more attention to things that you care about. This is helpful for us to think about whenever we're in the position where we may be trying to teach something to somebody. Maybe it's a colleague or a client or even a child. People will pay more attention to things that they care about. So we really want to try to make them relevant. Now, the eighth principle is age matters. Training-induced plasticity occurs more readily in younger brains. So we do know that younger brains are already more plastic and adaptable to change than older brains. That's not to say though that old brains can't change. So there's really no reason to say that you are too old. We just know that it is more readily available in the younger brains. In fact, we also know that there is a protective function of learning new information. So building that cognitive reserve, and we've talked about that before on the podcast several times. As you get older, you do want to engage in new learning to increase your cognitive reserve. So yes, it's longer and harder to learn new things, to change the brain when you're older, but the benefits are still there. And so it's still worth it. Now, the ninth principle is called transference or generalization. And they state that plasticity in response to one's training experience can enhance acquisition of similar behaviors. This is kind of a cool one, and I see it both in my work as an SLP and as a coach. So sometimes as an SLP, we engage in practicing an activity that I know will transfer over to help them in other areas. For example, if learning new information while listening to a TED Talk and taking notes, so that's the act of listening for details and note-taking, that can also help them in everyday conversations or taking messages, or if they're a student taking notes in class. So we can't always mimic the exact everyday activities. So I will do things like let's take a TED talk and let's listen, take notes and have a discussion about that. And what I'm trying to do is do an activity that's going to transfer and generalize over to somebody's real world activities where they are in a social setting, they're talking to somebody, they're trying to understand what they're saying, they're trying to retain it, they're trying to have a conversation about it. So I'm hoping that the activity that we do will transfer over. And the closer the activities are that mimic real life, the better it is, which is why I like using things like TED Talks and finding talks that are salient and interesting to clients because it's easier to carry over. 
Now, the skills can work the same way in coaching. I always share with people that sometimes when they come, they'll be like, oh, I have this goal, I have that goal, I have a whole bunch of different things that I want to work on. But really, if we just start working on one area of your life, the skills that you learn, the tools that you learn will carry over into other areas. So we can pick on an area and it will benefit multiple areas. For example, if you learn how to manage your mind or feel your emotions and you focus in particular perhaps on your home life, you're going to see improvement in your work life too. Or one of my favorite examples of this is that I've been in a lot of group coaching programs and often I'm not getting personally coached, but amazingly what happens is someone else will get coached and it'll actually help me. And To be honest, some of my best coaching has been through watching and listening to others being coached. So it's the ability to transfer over what I'm hearing and apply it in my own life. It is super, super powerful. And it's one of the reasons why I'm so excited about my upcoming new program that I'm launching. It is going to be a group program. So there's a ton of learning and application that can be transferred by also watching and witnessing others. So there's lots of room that's going to have for individual support. So not to worry but stay tuned. Make sure that you're on my mailing list for info if you want to get more information about that. But there is a lot of power in being able to see somebody else going through something and learning and applying what they're learning into your own life. So the importance of transference and generalization was the ninth principle. Now the 10th principle is interference. And this one states that plasticity in response to one training experience can actually impede acquisition of similar behaviors. So this really just reminds us that trying to focus on too many things can actually impede your progress. Or it can also be that sometimes one bad habit that you have may first have to be unlearned before you introduce a new habit. This kind of ties back to what I was saying about maladaptive coping behaviors. This is why you always want to be aware of where you're starting. So if anything needs to be torn down before you rebuild, you can do that. So becoming aware of where you are, focusing on a few small things, not trying to change everything or improve everything all at once is the principle of interference. So those are the principles. Did any of them surprise you? We need to, just to review them, use it or lose it, use it and improve it. There's a principle of specificity. So you've got to specifically be working on things. Repetition matters. You need to be doing it over and over and over again. Intensity matters. You can't be doing it over and over and over again over a long duration. You want to tighten up that chunk of time when you're doing the practice. Time matters, especially for injury, the earlier, the better. But for an intact brain, if you haven't been taking care of your brain health, then start now. It's not too late. Salience matters. You got to make it interesting. You got to make it relevant. You got to make it meaningful. Know the why. Age matters. Again, you're not too old. It is better the earlier you start it. So you have kids, you want to be encouraging them and teaching them. But there's also protective qualities when you're working on the brain. And as you get older, we want to do as many things as possible to protect our brain. Transference or generalization, if you work on one area, it tends to transfer over to another area. That's why you want to make it as real world and relevant as possible. And then lastly, interference. 
So be careful of where you're starting from and make sure that you're not doing too many things at once. Those are the principles. The brain is an amazing thing. It is such a gift and we get to do so much with it. But I also love that there are things that we can do to help our brain, to build our cognitive reserve, to protect it, to change it, to improve it, to learn new habits or behaviors. And if there's damage, to rewire and rehabilitate. That is the miracle of neuroplasticity. So jump in, get to know your brain, do these things, work on your brain. And if you need some help, you know where to find me. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Building Resilience Podcast. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about managing stress, building resilience, and leading a more purposeful life, then make sure we're connected on Instagram and Facebook at Leah Davidson Life Coaching. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter at www.leahdavidsonlifecoaching.com forward slash newsletter. Looking forward to connecting.